What's up everyone? Good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning online Water's Edge worship experience. We thank you so much for hanging out with us today and tuning in. Again, for those of you that share these links with your friends and family, thank you so much for doing that. We have people that are tuning in from all over the state, but really also all over the United States. For those of you that continue to give online and you continue with your generosity, thank you so much for that. Like I told you last week, that helped us in our food pantry feed 1,100 people. So our last food pantry that Miss Kelly and her team got to put together fed 1,100 people. Our next food pantry will be right around the beginning of December as we enter into the Christmas holidays. And so for those of you that continue to give and donate, it all goes to a great, great cause. Thank you so very much. You know, most of us wake up every single day and we hope that today will be better and easier. The burdens will be lighter. Today will be more peaceful than yesterday. Most of us want this week to be better than last week, and most of us want this year to be better than last year, and hopefully it will be, but life can be challenging, and those challenges that you and I face can produce questions in our heart, questions about God, questions about Jesus, questions about the world, heartache, pain, suffering, questions about the Bible, questions about what you and I go through, questions about truth, and so we have all these questions in our heart, and I think sometimes it comes down to the way people view God, because the way you view God can actually add to your heartache and pain, and it can make it worse, or it can make it better and more healing, and have you ever been through something in your life, something that just caused you to want to ask why, you wanted to ask God why, or maybe you just wanted to walk into your backyard and shake your fist at the sky and say, I thought you were there for me, God. Why is this happening? And so how does God work? How does he work in our life? Is he in control of everything? Does he cause everything? Is he the puppet master? Or is there something else going on when you and I go through things that just don't make sense? Is God working in a different way? So how does God work? Well, in three major ways, and we introduced this thought to you last week. He creates, he instills, and he renews. In the text, we see God as the creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God is a God who creates. He makes things new. And then also in the text, we see that our God's the God who instills. In Romans chapter 5, it says that God has instilled the Holy Spirit into our life, and the Holy Spirit instills love into our heart. And so that's the type of God that we have. He instills. He creates in our life. He instills in our life, but the Bible also teaches all throughout the text that he also renews. All throughout the scripture, we see that God renews our mind, he renews our thinking, he renews our heart, he renews our purpose, he renews our life, he renews our salvation. He is a God that makes all things new. So either God controls everything that happens, good or bad, and either God causes everything to happen, good or bad, and God can prevent anything that's supposed to happen, good or bad like a puppet master, or maybe God works in a different way, like this. And remember this today, if you're still with me, I'm still with you. God created everything. He also created and instilled principles into the universe that determine how life and creation works. If we apply these principles in the right way, it pays off. If we apply them in the wrong way, they backfire. And these principles, they're not bad. They're not good. They just are. You can be a Christian and you can apply these principles to your life. And if you do it in the right way, it'll work out for you. It'll work out in a positive way. If you apply them in the wrong way, then it'll backfire in your life. But even if you're not a person of faith, you can be a person who's agnostic or atheist or Buddhist or Muslim or whatever. When God created the universe, he created principles. He instilled principles that determine how life and how the universe works. If you apply these principles correctly, they're always going to pay off for you. And at the end of the day, 
They will open up the door for God to reveal himself to you and work in your life if you follow these principles and apply them in the right way. In fact, in the Gospel of John chapter 14, Jesus says that he reveals himself to people who obey. Something that I do with people all the time who don't have faith or they're not sure if they want to have faith anymore or they have all kind of doubts, I always tell them, follow these God-instilled principles. Just apply them to your life and see what happens. Most of the time what happens is this, when people start to recognize the principles that God has instilled into the universe and they apply those principles to their life, after that, it opens up the door for God to work in their life and reveal himself to them, and then they draw closer to God. So I was born in 1975, which means I grew up as a kid in the 80s and the 90s. We didn't have smartphones, we didn't have Wi-Fi, we didn't have internet, we didn't have PlayStations, we didn't have Xbox, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have streaming services, we didn't even have a dish and all that kind of stuff. But we did have outside. And our parents would tell us all the time, y'all go outside. And so as I got older, Every weekend, we went outside to find something to do, and for me and my friends, it was a basketball goal and a basketball. And if we somehow got to go into a gym, that was even better. But every single weekend, this is what we did. We found someone who had a basketball goal, and it could be on a dirt court, it could be in someone's driveway, it could have been at the school, it could have been at the church. But nevertheless, if we found a basketball goal and a basketball, then we were playing basketball all weekend long. So needless to say, growing up, basketball for me was a source and a reminder of happiness and something to do, something that I loved and something that I absolutely just had had a passion for in my life. And so naturally I played basketball in school because I loved it. I got pretty good at it too, because I loved it so much. Now, one thing that I didn't love about basketball was practice. Love the game, didn't really like practice. So as I entered into my ninth grade year, we had just gotten a brand new high school basketball coach and he was like a drill sergeant, man. This dude was tough. He made us run. Practices were so brutal. They were like boot camp. The preseason, he made us run cross country. But also, as we got ready for the season, he made us run suicides on the basketball court, suicides on the football field up to the 50-yard line. He made us run bleachers at the football field. He made us hop bleachers. He made us run hurdles. We ran and we ran and we ran until many times we would stop running, throw up, and he would say, get back in and start running again. Needless to say, I still loved basketball. But because of this coach and how difficult practice was, I started to hate practice. In fact, all my teammates dreaded practice. It was, a, it was crazy because we loved this game so much. That's all we wanted to do as high school kids on the weekends was just play ball. But we hated practice. We hated it so much that I remember several of my friends, when they would get injured, like if they would sprain their ankle or hyperextend their knee or, or you know, break their finger or something like that, they would get excited because they would get to sit out of practice for a few weeks. That's how brutal practice was. And I remember one practice, I was coming down for a rebound. I landed wrong. I landed on my friend's foot. It twisted my ankle and it hyperextended my knee. I remember my coach checking out my knee and all that kind of stuff. And the doctor said, man, you're going to have to be out of practice for about three or four weeks. And I remember being excited that I was injured so I could sit out of practice because practice was so brutal. And I think sometimes we do that with life. I think sometimes we do that with our faith in God and our relationship with Jesus. Something happens to us, something confusing, something heartbreaking, something traumatic, something devastating. And at times, life is brutal. Life is too much. Life is sad. Life is exhausting. And sometimes life injures us. We get injured. Our heart is injured. Our happiness is injured. Our joy is injured. 
Our resolve is injured, our relationships get injured, our hope gets injured, our faith gets injured. And so many times, many people use that injury as an excuse to sit out and to give up. We were serving God, we were seeking God, we were involved at church, we were close to Jesus, we were serving people, we were loving people, but we used that trial, we used that pain, we used that heartache, we used that injury as an excuse to start to sit out, to sit out on God, and even sometimes to sit out on life. Are you using the pain that you're going through right now as an excuse to sit out? And those injuries that we go through in life produce questions, and we use those questions as another excuse to sit out and to give up. Questions like this, if God is love, if God is in control, if God is really for me, then why did this happen? How could this happen? And if God has all power and God has all knowledge, why didn't he step in and stop it? Or why didn't he prevent it? We're hurt. We're injured. We wonder, we have questions from our pain. Why didn't God stop this, prevent this, do something about it if he's loving enough and if he has all this power and knowledge? What's he up to? Have you ever thought about this and noticed this today? If God is so loving and powerful, then why doesn't God stop or prevent suffering in this world? Now, most of the time in church, we would get an answer like this. Well, Jesus just uses all those trials to make us more like him. God just sends us through all this heartache in life to make us more like his son, Jesus. Cool. And that's real easy to tell people when you've never been through what they've been through. That's real easy to tell people in church when you don't have to go back to their pain and their storms and their circumstances. You don't know how their heart's been broken. You don't know the battle that they're facing mentally. You don't know how every day they teeter back and forth from wanting to be alive to not wanting to be alive anymore. You don't know. So it's real easy to say, well, trust God, let go, let God. God's just putting you through this to make you more like Jesus. Obviously, some problems you and I cause in our life by our decisions and our choices and our irresponsibility. When innocent people, though, suffer, where's God then? Sometimes we do it. But what happens when innocent people get hurt? What's God up to? Like this healthy young man that I pastored when I was in Starks, he was in his 30s. He was an ambulance driver, he was an EMT, and then out of nowhere, strong young man, healthy young man, he had a wife, he had two children, and probably two months after we found out he had cancer, we buried him. His kids were babies. His wife was all alone. I remember that specifically. I remember thinking like, why did things like this happen? Or that young couple that I know who were on an airplane, and they were on their way to a mission trip, it was in South Korea. And on the way, flying there, they had a miscarriage on the plane. When they landed and they got into the hospital, they realized no one there speaks English. We don't understand them. They don't understand us. My friend told me, he goes, but I finally realized that my baby was dead when I looked over and I saw it sitting in a bowl. What do you do then? Where is God then? I grew up with a friend of mine from De Quincey, and he got married to another friend of mine, and they had beautiful kids, and they had two twin boys. One wandered out of the house one day, wandered out of the yard, and wandered over to a neighbor's yard and fell into the swimming pool, and they lost that baby. Where was God then? I've often wondered if God is love, if God knows everything, if God has all power, and even if God knows everything before it happens, if God can stop suffering, especially when it hurts innocent people, then why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? 
In the book of Isaiah, it says that no one can teach God because he has all wisdom. Okay, so he knows everything. In Psalm 147, it says that God is powerful and mighty and his knowledge has no limits. So he knows everything. In the book of Jeremiah, it says that nothing is too difficult for God. And then Jesus in the Gospels said that God has all authority and God has given Jesus all authority. And then Peter told Jesus, Lord, you know all things, everything. I've had so many people ask me, and we have thought about this too, if God knows everything, if God is love and God has all power, then he can stop and prevent some of the innocent suffering and pain in this world. So why doesn't he? Why? And that question becomes much more real when it's your turn to hurt, to face devastation, heartache, pain, and confusion. Now, we all know that there's the human factor. We all have free will, and sometimes we do horrible things, and we hurt other people, and that's not God's fault. If you hurt somebody, that's not God's fault, and if somebody hurts you, that's not really God's fault, and if God is obligated to prevent one act of sin that hurts someone else, then he's obligated to, pre to uh, prevent every act of sin that hurts someone else, which would take away our free will. That's not the essence of love. I have hurt people. You have hurt people. He didn't stop us from doing that. He convicted us. He warned us, but we didn't listen. But what about when you don't cause it? What about when it just hits you out of nowhere? And let's be honest and notice this today. If you're still with me, I'm still with you. When we do suffer, sometimes we use this question, why didn't God step in as an excuse for you and I to step out? We are hurt. We are injured. We are confused. We are devastated. And we drift away from Jesus and many times we give up on certain aspects of our life. And so today I want us to talk about responding to this mystery in a different way. And then we're going to close with another principle. Because to be honest with you, I don't think we're ever going to figure this one out. I don't think there's ever going to be a sermon or a Bible study that comes out or a devotional that comes out or some, some great pastor or minister that comes out with the answer to this question. If God knows everything, if God is all power and all loving, then why doesn't he stop the suffering and the heartache of innocent people? But I don't think we're ever going to figure this out, and I don't think we're ever going to understand if God is loving and all-powerful why, why he wouldn't do this. But the next thought is this, and notice this today. The way we respond to it determines how well we recover from it. If you want to recover from your heartache well, if you want to recover from your confusion and your pain well, then you have to respond to it well. So the question is this, how do you respond when God's control and our circumstances don't make sense? How do we respond then? Notice how the missionary Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, and you've heard me teach on these verses before, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We have peace with God because of the cross. That was an amazing act of love and voluntarily suffering so you and I could have peace with God on the part of Jesus. Verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Our faith in Jesus has given us this relationship with God that we've never deserved, but because of the cross we can have that relationship and know God. Verse three, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
And endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So notice how Paul says that even when we have this strong faith and this strong relationship with Jesus, you and I are gonna run into problems and trials and suffering and pain that we cannot explain. And if we respond well, then it builds more endurance and faith and perseverance and character in our life. Verse five, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is how God instills. He instills the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit instills into our heart. This is how we know God loves us. Because all of our problems are gone? No. Because we never suffer? Because we never have questions, heartache and pain? No, we know God loves us, the scripture says, because he has given us his Holy Spirit and his spirit instills hope and love in our life so we can make it through the fire. The fire's gonna come. But how do we know God's there? How do we know God's working? How do we know God loves us? Because in the midst of the fire, the Holy Spirit is here instilling hope and endurance and faith in our hearts. That's how God works. Verse six. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And that death that he died for us was brutal, painful, the ultimate act of love and suffering for us. So this is what I think Paul's getting at when our life doesn't make sense when you and I suffer, when the love and the control of God doesn't seem to match our circumstances. And notice this, suffering is not a sign that God has left you. Suffering is an invitation to know what Jesus went through for you. It's not a sign that Jesus is far away from you because you're going through things in life that are confusing and they're breaking your heart and you're going through darkness and suffering. Suffering is actually an invitation to know Jesus in a way like you have never known him before. It's not a sign that God's against you. It's not a sign that God's trying to wake you up. It's not a sign that God's trying to get you back closer to him and get you back on the right path. It's simply an invitation to know what Jesus went through for you. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Paul says, I wanna know Christ, and don't we all? And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Don't we all want to experience that? But then he says this, I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death. We all wanna know God today. We all wanna know the power that resurrected Jesus in our life. But if we're ever gonna know God in that way, we have to know Jesus in another way. We get to know him through the invitation sometimes of suffering. So Paul says, I wanna know God and how powerful he is, but I also have to know Jesus in a deeper way. And when I suffer, it reminds me of what he went through for me voluntarily. So real quick, let me give you three things that you should not do when you're suffering in life does not make sense. The first thing is this, if you're still with me, say I'm still with you. Don't try to control it. You can't control everything that happens to you in your life. Sometimes you need to take your pain like the mother of baby Moses did and she placed baby Moses in a basket because the Pharaoh wanted all the male Jewish boys to be murdered. She didn't want her baby boy to be murdered but she had no idea what to do and so she placed her baby in a basket, floated him down the Nile River and took her hands off of Moses, baby Moses and just trusted in the providence of God because she could not control it. And sometimes the only thing you can do is wait for the outcome with endurance and faith and hope and resolve and not giving up. You can't change it. You can't stop it. You can't control it. Sometimes the only thing you can do is wait for the outcome. And when that outcome happens, 
still follow God. The second thing is this, don't try to ignore it. If you ignore your electric bill, your phone bill, and your water bill, they're not just going to leave your phone on, not just going to leave your electricity and your water on. Nope, if you ignore it, it gets worse. In the same way in this life, don't ignore your problems and your pain and your suffering. If you ignore it, then you isolate and internalize. Isolate and internalize. When you isolate yourself, you're alone, and then you internalize your pain. When you internalize your pain, you develop very unhealthy habits and patterns to deal with that pain, and it just leads you down a path that you don't want to go. So don't try to ignore it. Face it and deal with it with some resolve. Number three. Don't try to explain it. It never fails. Most of the time when people come to talk to me about their pain, they always say something like this. I guess God's just trying to get my attention. I guess God's just trying to wake me up. I guess God's just trying to whip me into shape. I guess I did something awful and God's just trying to open up my eyes. If you wouldn't have done this or that, maybe this wouldn't have happened to me. Listen, not everything that happens to you happens to you because you deserve it. Not everything that happens to you in this life happens to you because God's the puppet master and he's trying to teach you this lesson and teach you that lesson and trying to get you closer to God and get you back on the right path and get this sin out of your life. Sometimes life is just happening to you because it's broken and you can't explain it. Stop thinking like that about yourself and stop thinking like that about God. Broken things still happen because life is still broken and it's no one's fault. So in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the Israelites had adopted some pagan worship. And as they adopted this pagan worship, one of the rituals for one of the gods called Baal is, was this. They would gather around a shrine of Baal, a statue of Baal, which was hollow. And they would take their firstborn baby boys and they would sacrifice their babies to this god, this false pagan god named Baal. And this is how they would sacrifice their firstborn baby boys. They would put them in that shrine, light them on fire, and then they would hold hands around the statue and they would sing at the top of their lungs hymns to this false god called Baal. And they would sing so loudly so they could drown out the screams of their dying babies. Notice what God told the prophet Jeremiah to tell them about this act of heartache and pain and suffering and this false worship. Jeremiah chapter 19, verses four through six. For Israel has forsaken me, and they have turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before acknowledged by this generation, by their ancestors or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. They have built pagan shrines to Baal, where they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. Notice this. So this is pain. This is suffering of innocent people. This is confusing. Why would God not prevent the death of these innocent children? Why would God, if God knew this was gonna happen and God has all power and love, why, why would he not prevent this or stop this? But notice what God says to Jeremiah. He says this, they have built pagan shrines to Baal where they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. So beware, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when this garbage dump will no longer be called Topheth of the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, but the Valley of Slaughter. Notice what God says. This never crossed my mind. 
I never commanded such a thing. In the original, it says this, that God did not ordain this. Say, Tony, what does that mean? It meant that he wasn't the puppet master that caused this. So according to this passage and many others, I want you to understand something, and this is what it is. God knows all things. God can use all things. But God doesn't cause all things. Sometimes brokenness just happens in our life because the world is broken, creation is broken, and life is broken. I did nothing to deserve or cause having multiple sclerosis. It just happened because life is broken. God's not mad at me. God wasn't trying to teach me a lesson. It was just something that happened to me. My dad did nothing to die from leukemia. He did nothing to cause that. It just happened. My sweet, sweet mother-in-law did nothing to deserve dying from Alzheimer's. It just happened because the world is broken. And so God could have stepped in and prevented all that, but we don't know why those types of things still happen. But we do know this. God knows all things. He can use all things. But he doesn't cause all things. And this is why we say that, and this is how we know that. God has all knowledge, and this is what we mean. The Scripture teaches that God has past knowledge, knowledge of everything that happened in the past. The Bible also says that God has foreknowledge. That's knowledge of everything that will happen, kind of like this. If I'm sitting on Ryan Street at Mardi Gras and I'm looking at the parade, all I'm seeing is what's right in front of me. But if I was in a blimp above the parade, above Ryan Street, I could see where the uh, parade started, and I could see where it's going to end. I could see where it came from. I could see where it's going. Well, God's the same way. He has knowledge of everything that happened in your past, and he has knowledge of everything that will happen in your future. But he also has something called middle knowledge. Like when Peter said, Lord, you know all things. And middle knowledge is God's wisdom and knowledge of everything that possibly could happen. So God knows everything. He has knowledge of the past. He has knowledge of the future, and he has a middle knowledge of every single possibility. We can't understand that. That would make like an interesting movie. That is just beyond our comprehension. And so God does know all things, and he can use all things. And because he knows all things, he can make plans to use all things. It's kind of like if you watch the weather tonight, and it says tomorrow it's going to rain. Now all of a sudden you have knowledge about tomorrow, and so you can make plans accordingly. I'm not going to go to the beach tomorrow if it's going to rain because I have knowledge of what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to stay home because it's going to rain. And so God takes all this knowledge that he has and he makes plans accordingly. So he doesn't cause all things. He knows all things and so he can use all things. But why doesn't God prevent what he knows? Because of this, and this is our principle today. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. God is love. And the essence of love is choice, not force. God is love. The essence of love is a choice, not force. We want to blame and question God when life injures us. Because I've wondered all the time, if God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if he didn't want them to eat that fruit, then why did he put the tree there? Because there had to be a choice. He didn't make them robots. He loved them. And the essence of love is choice not force. So we have to understand that when life injures us, that God knows all things. God can use all things. He doesn't cause all things, but he also loves us so much that he's given us the freedom of the will and freedom to choose. So make sure in this life that you stay focused. Make sure that you stay focused on how you make your choices 
how you make your decisions, why you make your choices, why you make your decisions, and what patterns develop in your life because of that. Because that's going to determine where your life ends up. Not some grumpy puppet master in the sky who's pulling all the strings. God created everything. He instilled principles in the universe that determine how it works. One of those is this. God's given us free will. And so we have to make the right choices that's going to set us on the right path. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We love you. We hope you have a great week. Can't wait to see you back next week. Thank you so much.